Welcome to Untapped, the new podcast from Uncut Chapel Hill, taking a deep dive into the new world of NIL. I'm your host, Marcus Richardson, and today's guests are Kelsey Trainer and Nate Wood. In this episode, we'll talk with Kelsey about her involvement with Power Forward and how she came up with her viral t-shirt design, some complications that universities might face with Title IX and NIL, the timeline of NIL rollout from Nate's perspective, other programming from UNC dedicated to student-athletes, as well as real-world problems, group licensing, and predictions for the future. So, without further ado, enjoy the show. Kelsey and Nate, welcome to the show. So I'll let you, Nate, introduce yourself, and then Kelsey, I'll let you do the same. So I've been here at UNC for about two years. Uh, as you mentioned, I worked uh, previous to this, I worked at University of Michigan. Uh, before that, I worked at USC, always in compliance. New NIL space naturally falls kind of in the compliance uh, lap. And, and so I've been heading up that up since July 1, um, and we've been uh, full steam ahead ever since. Yeah, um, and I am a lawyer in the media and entertainment space who just happens to, to dabble in sports every now and then. Uh, mostly in the equality space, especially having to do with women athletes, as well as, you know, player NIL uh, rights, which is not something a few years ago that I think we would be having this conversation. Um, and, and here we are uh, a few years later. So I, I, I dabble in, in a few of those areas. Um, so I'll start a question for you, Kelsey. I know you kind of own your own shop um, with Power Forward. So I just want you to kind of talk a little bit about your experience uh, working with them and kind of engaging with the different athletes on that platform. Yeah, so kind of how my power forward shop came to be was uh, I tweet a lot, uh, maybe for better or for worse, and people listen for better or for worse and, and what I have to say. And the WNBA had done a campaign saying bet on women a bit ago, um, which I loved. And it was great. And it, it accomplished a lot because it really got a lot of people looking their direction and betting on them, right? Like investing on them and understanding that they're an asset and they're a value. I had kind of gotten a tiny bit fed up with the saying only because to me, a bet um, invokes some sort of risk, right? There's some sort of risk just associated with the word bet. And I was kind of tired of, of women athletes and women's sports having that risk associated with it. I wanted women sports and athletes and, and leagues and teams to be invested in the same way that, that men's teams were um, in the sense that sometimes you fail and sometimes you fail horribly and, and, and very expensively. But I just wanted to kind of change that narrative and take the risk out of associating it with a bet because I think words matter. And now you have bet on women coming back and we're actually getting into sports betting on women, which is great, which is just another investment. And so I had put that out into the Twitterverse and I had some people come back to me and working with Power Forward, it was just the platform that allowed me to put that out there. You know, I'm not an athlete in the sense that their athletes are, you know, Sue Bird and Crystal Dunn and, and NECA and a bunch of really, really famous people. That's not me, but I have a voice and it was a great place where that athlete, AKA me, could really control everything. Uh, they did everything for me. Um, and, you know, you make good money off of it. Um, and so that's just kind of how that came to be the slogan it's done well. Um, I think I am one of their top athletes. Um, and I use that term very loosely. It's athletes plus Kelsey trainer, but it's because it's universal and the message and we've got, what we've gotten to do is we've been able to send stuff out to, you know, Ennis Canner. Um, I think CJ McCollum bought a bunch and tweeted about it and that skyrocketed sales. And so now we've been able to kind of work in 
uh, some college athletes into that same stuff. And the proceeds, uh, my portion of the proceeds go to an organization called Black Girl Hockey Club, which does in fact pay women and hire women and invest in women. So it's kind of a full circle thing that's been really fun to, to work on as a side thing for me. That's awesome. Um, and then Nate, for you, I'm curious to see um, with, you know, all the NIL stuff. And then obviously um, another big part, part of your compliance is with Title IX. Has there been any complications with that? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And so, you know, we, we've been looking at this from, from a couple different angles, um, certainly an equity issue, because from our perspective, so the NCAA has, has put out very broad parameters of what an inst- institutional involvement and how, how much we can go. So how far up to that line we can go. And we certainly have been, you know, maybe aggressive isn't the right word, but we've, we've certainly been on the forefront of some of that. We were the first to do the group license. We've certainly been, you know, active in the community, trying to help our community partners understand the NIL rules and where they can connect with our student athletes and those kinds of things. I think where Title IX and equity have come up is in what we can do to promote student athletes. So one of the issues we had was, okay, so we have all these resources available to us. So Twitter followings and Instagram followings, and, you know, they all follow UNC basketball and they all follow UNC athletics or UNC football or UNC field hockey or whatever the case may be. What's our obligation with those resources to help promote student athletes and their business ventures? and making sure we do it in an equitable way. So if, you know, we have 10 tweets that are all football tweets and only tweeting out the football NIL deals, well, that's not equitable, right? We're not giving due diligence to our field hockey women who have signed NIL deals and who are making money in that space and would gladly take UNC Athletics Twitter uh, endorsement. And so we're, we're working through that right now. It's difficult because the NCAA has given us these very broad guidelines and we're not really sure exactly where that line is. And so we're kind of working in the dark a little bit. And so we're going to try to be as helpful as we can, but we have to do it in a way that is equitable to our student athletes. Cause we certainly you know, don't want to be in a position where promoting a, a male sport more than we're promoting a woman's sport or promoting a single athlete over the rest of the athletes. And so we, we certainly have to be careful in that space, but we are going to do uh, everything we can to, to promote all of our student athletes um, and all of their business ventures as much as we can within NCAA limits. Yeah, I want to add too. I mean, I don't envy Nate or anybody in kind of compliance just because it was really sprung uh, in that sense and, and, and passed back on to the universities and, and kind of what to do without those, without some uh, NCAA guidelines. So it, it's almost like it's twofold. It's like there's obviously there's the risk associated with it, but then there's also the innovation that I think we've been seeing, which is really, really neat to see. And I think I think it was either Florida Atlantic or there was a Florida school where their whole women's sports team was given a group licensing deal with the Florida the Panthers, I believe. And that's just neat. Like I just, I wouldn't have thought of that, but it's so cool to kind of see that innovation. Um, and I, 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 but I also don't envy uh, Nate, because of the the risks and and maybe the the lack of guidelines that that they have. And then I kind of want to pull on that thread a little bit more. I know you said like you know it kind of sprung on you, and I think that kind of hit a lot of compliance offices. Obviously, July first, that clock struck, 
and everybody was kind of caught by surprise a little bit, but I felt like UNC was pretty well prepared. Like they had launched some stuff before. So I just want to kind of hear what was your experience like as the clock kind of struck midnight and the ball dropped, um, you know, what was UNC doing to prepare for it? And then kind of what was the fallout of it that next day? Yeah. So, you know, someday I'm probably going to write a book about this. It's, it's fairly interesting. I probably won't do it justice, but um, you know, probably two years ago, the rumblings of NIL started coming up. Then uh, I think last fall, we got our first pen to paper. They basically articulated a bunch of different areas where institutions could support student athletes, where they could not. Lots of flaws with it with, you know, like any NCAA legislation, there were flaws with it and we picked it apart. But we, we thought if this is what they're going to pass, you know, we can live with it and we can work with it and we'll deal with it like everybody else is. Well, January came and at the big NCAA convention, this is where all the schools, all, all the schools come together and vote on legislation. The expectation was that there was going to be a vote on this specific NIL proposal. They decided to table. I, I think the reason was, and, and this will probably come out later, uh, somebody will write a story about this, but I think the reason was because they knew they didn't have the votes. The legislation wasn't great and nobody felt confident about it. And so I don't think they had the votes and they certainly didn't want to vote on NIL and lose the vote. Um, and have membership say, no, we don't want this. That was, you know, would not have been a good look. And then I think in February-ish, March, oral arguments were heard in the Alston case. That also was an opportunity to delay the inevitable. Um, I think some administrators saw the Alston case as potentially favorable in the NCAA's eyes, potentially, and maybe that would limit the pressure to change the NIL rules. And then obviously in I think it was June, there was a um, hearing. That was the first time on a national level that it was really talked about. And there was some, you know, discussion of whether or not there was going to be a national policy, a national rule. I think uh, there were some folks that were certainly pushing for that just to have uniformity across the nation. You know, there was some fear about the equity of all of that and whether or not that would translate to on the field disparities, right? So one state is going to be able to gobble up all the recruits because they have more favorable NIL rules. And so that's why everyone was like, hey, we need a national rule. So that didn't get passed either. So there was none of that. Heading up to July 1st, we had a couple different options on the table. We knew Florida was going to pass, that, that law was already passed and was going to go into effect July 1st. One of the options was these states who have these rules, they were going to be able to capitalize on NIL but the states who did not have a law were not going to be able to. So that was one of the scenarios. The other scenario was going to be the NCAA at the last minute passes some emergency legislation, and then we just follow that rule and everybody's on that rule. We also had contacted, um, you know, some pe people here in, in the state of North Carolina, you know, discussed whether or not it was appropriate for us to have our own state law so that we weren't, you know, behind other states who had passed laws. So we had some discussions internally with state officials here. Um, and then ultimately none of that, you know, came to fruition. Um, and then July 1 came and what the NCAA did was just eliminate the bylaw. So they didn't change anything. They didn't add anything. They just eliminated that bylaw altogether and, and with really no direction. The point is, so that was kind of the timeline of how, of how things evolved. We, we've been meeting as an NIL team. Um, we've kind of formulated an NIL team here, some administrators and, and some compliance folks. Um, and we started meeting 
uh, once a week since January. And so we were preparing for all those scenarios. So we were preparing for our athletes not to have any NIL, but Florida's athletes to have NIL and how we were going to deal with that from not only our own student athletes, you know, advise them, but also in recruiting, right? Like, how are we going to tell our coaches that Florida State kids can go make money, but North Carolina kids can't? So, and then trying to navigate, okay, what if I'm from Florida, but I go to school in North Carolina? Does that mean I can make money in NIL? Is the NCAA going to punish me because I go to a school in a different state, but my state passed the law? And so there was a lot of confusion about that. So we had been meeting, we had plans and scenarios in place for each one of those kind of uh, potential possibilities uh, that came to fruition. And ultimately, the NCAA kind of gave the most expansive position. And starting July 1, we, you know, we had a software in place. So we had uh, deals with Influencer and Compass, and we had all that ready to go. And so we just turned the switch on July 1st, we were ready to go with it. Um, we notified all of our coaches, probably the day before and we said, look, this is going to happen, you know, the trains left the station. Um, and so we gave all of our coaches education as much as we could and as much as we knew at the time. Um, and then since that day, really, for the last two months, we have every day sent out information to our coaches, information to our boosters and alums and local businesses, our student athletes. I mean, and we've really charted a path that we feel real good about um, as far as preparing our student athletes for NIL, preparing our coaches for NIL and that recruiting space and how that works with their with their teams. Um, and then preparing all of our local businesses and, and, and trying to figure out, you know, how they can connect with our student athletes and really take advantage and, and monetize name, image, and likeness um, for both them and the student athlete. And so, you know, I feel like our, our team's done a great job of trying to get that out uh, and trying to get that information. And it's really all about education for our student athletes so that they know, you know, how far they can go. So I think that's honestly been a little bit of a problem, you know, for 80 years, the NCAA has said no in this space. Everyone said, no, absolutely not. And now all of a sudden we're having conversations with boosters about paying a student athlete to be in their wife's real estate commercial. I mean, I think this is just a new era and it's, it's really flipped it on its head again to the education piece. It's, it's hard. I mean, people will look at us and be like, are you sure this is the rule? Are you absolutely sure I can do this? And they'll ask five or six times and we've had businesses call us because it's so new and because it's so different from where we were, you know, just two months ago, um, I think that that is going to take a while. I think, I think, you know, year two of NIL will probably, we'll certainly see an uptick. The part of that is just information and just trying to get the information to, you know, people who want to engage in NIL and then student athletes and, and knowing where those boundaries are and, and giving them confidence to be able to go and, and pursue those, those uh, activities. And then I know you spoke a lot about like education being like the primary way you're engaging with your student athletes and boosters and coaches and so on and so forth. Um, what other ways is compliance really like helping out in this space? Obviously, y'all are the main area where student athletes are going to to get all their information from. So uh, just what other kind of guidance beyond education are you offering? Yeah, so one of the things that I'm particularly proud of is um, we partnered with Carolina Student Legal Services and the uh, uh, UNC Law School, as well as the North Carolina Bar Association. Carolina Student Legal Services is specifically for Carolina students, and we work with them to have an intake system so that all of our student athletes can go through an intake system through Carolina Legal Services with their contracts and questions and allow them to get answered by licensed attorneys, either through the Carolina Student Legal Services or a recommendation through the North Carolina Bar Association to entertainment and sports lawyers here in the area. And so the really neat thing is that for the North Carolina Bar Association, they're treating this and they're recognizing this as pro bono. Um, so for the attorneys, they get 
credit for pro bono hours. And for our student athletes, they're going to get the expertise of a seasoned veteran lawyer directly related to sports and entertainment, which is amazing. And so uh, I think that's one of the resources we provided that is just great. It's still just getting off the ground and we've notified our student athletes and, and hopefully they take advantage of it. But I think that's one thing that we're we're, we're certainly proud of it, that partnership and being able to provide that resource to our student athletes. Again, you know, and, um, and Kelsey knows this as well, that the line between what legal advice we can provide to our student athletes and where our kind of the NCAA line is, is not great. It's a pretty gray area. And so having this resource is amazing for our student athletes. Um, it's really going to provide them uh, some great resources and some, and some great knowledge. So that's, that's one of the areas. Um, the other thing is um, we're working with uh, Keenan uh, Business School, as well as the Hussman School of Journalism, uh, to provide classes specific for students who are looking to capitalize on their branding. So uh, personal branding, uh, social media branding, those kinds of things. And so the class is going to be set up specifically um, for those students who want to capitalize on that and how to market yourself, how to brand yourself, um, both through social media and in regular traditional marketing campaigns and those kinds of stuff. And so we're working right now that's a process. I mean, obviously, you know, getting a, a class from, from scratch is, is difficult, um, but we're working through that. We're working with uh, the deans of the schools and, and both Keenan and Hussman, and, and we're really excited about that opportunity. We're, we're hopeful that maybe we can get something fall 22, um, but we're, we're just, you know, there, there's a lot of red tape on that, but that's one of the things that we're really excited about too, is, you know, an opportunity to, to, take credit, you know, you get credit, you're going to graduate and to actually, you know, improve your marketability. I think those are really neat things. And, and we're really excited about those as well. Kelsey, I wanted to kind of cycle back. I know you mentioned the uh, group licensing deal with the Florida Atlantic athletes and the Florida Panthers. Uh, what other big time deals, whether it's like group stuff that you've seen or just uh, female athletes in general, uh, who are some of those athletes that you've seen really kind of dominating um, in the NIL space? You know, it's been really interesting to watch because there's been names that I've never heard of. Somebody who's not a top player on it is getting a deal because they have a great social media following or a great band's brand. So I would say, I mean, you obviously have, you know, your, your pages of the world in the women's basketball space. A lot of softball players and volleyball players are, are really getting um, so, some good deals out of it. Um, so it's just been interesting to see, but I just would, would know, right. Like we've known, we've known that this was going to be happening at some point. We didn't know when, right. The NCAA has had, you know, 50 years to kind of figure this out. They did. And they kind of passed the buck to the, uh, to the universities to figure it out. But we've, we've known that it's going to be happening just because every court case that had come up would, um, basically say that the NCAA was violating federal antitrust law. So uh, the writing has been on the wall. So I do give, you know, kind of mad props to a lot of these universities that have had uh, plans in place and, and understanding that this is going to be happening. And I think for female athletes, it's the equalizer that didn't exist before. And I think it's back to kind of what Nate was saying. It went from no, 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 to just carte blanche. Yes. Right. Uh, but <laughs> within that, yes, but right. Because even if there's not NCAA issues, you need an accountant. That's the first person you should have uh, kind of on your side if you're going to get into any of these any of these deals. You need an accountant, then you need a lawyer. Uh, whether that's through the services that are being able that are able to be provided to you through your school um, or through your own, because there's real world implications, right? Like the real world implication of the NCAA is that the courts kept telling them, "Hey, no, this is a violation of federal antitrust law. You can't do this." 
And the opposite of that is the real world implication of you can do this means that you're out in the real world. You know, you have to pay taxes on that. You have to understand all of the real world practicalities of, you know, you continuing to do what you want to do on social media, but having to pay taxes on that um, and, and I, all that other fun stuff. So I don't know, I kind of see the, uh, the, the NIL space and, you know, whether it's women athletes or men athletes, I think it's all going to be the same, but I think it's something that while it's wide open now, we're going to see maybe the, the lines being drawn at some point and much probably to the dismay of, of Nate and anybody else in the compliance space. And then we're going to see probably more lawsuits as well uh, against that. So, but for right now, I mean, I just, it's great to see these athletes making money because they were already making money for somebody else. And now they're just able to kind of profit off of it. So that that's been really good to see. And it, I think is the equalizer for women athletes. Nate, I want to see if you can speak on that as well with the, the taxes and kind of other, like Kelsey worded, real world problems that athletes have to face, even like the foreign athletes, how that might change stuff for them. Yeah. So first I'll say, uh, Kelsey, on my board, I have a whiteboard over here and, and I have a bunch of predictions. And, and my third prediction down is by year two of NIL, uh, a female student athlete will be the highest earner. That, that's my prediction. I, I think a female student athlete will certainly be the highest performer for a bunch of reasons. One of them being that they are more consistent athletically than men are mostly for the most part. So if you're a freshman All-American, you're going to be a sophomore All-American and a junior All-American, potentially. Male athletes have up and down seasons and the footballs and basketballs, you know, they have good games, bad games, and, and the value might not be there. Um, I also think for other reasons, I, I think female athletes will certainly be um, they'll have more followers, all that stuff. So, so I'm, I'm with you. I think it is a great equalizer and, and will allow uh, women athletes to really blossom in this space. And I think that's awesome because, you know, by the time they get to the pros, it's too late, right? They haven't built their brand and it's too late for them. And so now to be able to build your brand from, you know, 17 year old, you know, senior stud in high school all the way through college. And then when you get drafted by the NWSL, and you already have a known following and a brand, I think that's amazing. So I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. For it. So, so to, to the taxes thing, I will say the other thing I will say, Kelsey, you're spot on. And, and we have a slide in one of our presentations that we give to student athletes and it says real world problems. And that's the title of the slide. And it, the first thing is taxes. And so taxes are a big deal. I think that's one of the things that our student athletes are trying to grasp and parents, parents aren't aware of that. Biggest issue we have right now in taxes, which is going to be one of our ed sessions as well. We're going to have tax attorneys and CPAs come in and, and advise our student athletes. But one of the biggest issues is in-kind uh, uh, product, right? So in-kind product. So I'm signing a deal with Lululemon and they're going to send me $1,000 worth of stuff. Great. That's awesome. That's taxable income. I don't think student athletes really realize that because they, you know, they always get gear. They've been getting gear their whole careers. And all of a sudden now they're doing it as it becomes compensation. And so um, we've had questions about that. And, you know, we've tried to, you know, let them know that, you know, it's tax law. We're not tax attorneys. We can't advise you, but, you know, real world wise, yes, it could be seen as income and you should contact a CPA. And so um, I think that's a, a real world issue that will catch up in April um, with a lot of people. And so we'll see how that goes. Corollary to that is also financial aid. So one of the things that's come up in our area is 
um, income. Again, and a lot of financial need-based aid is based on income and what your parents' income is and what your income is. And so if you are an NIL earner, that is income and that will affect your financial aid package. And so trying to understand that, you know, you can have your financial aid or you can have NIL, but you can't really have both. Um, and so you're going to have to decide, you know, is this $5,000 NIL deal worth less Pell Grant money um, for the year? And, and again, uh, you know, if the NIL deal is $20,000 and Pell Grant is $6,000 a year, clearly the NIL money would be more, right? But we just want to make sure our student athletes understand those kind of real world implications. And then to the last point you made about international students. So as of right now, you know, we've advised our international students that they're not permitted to earn money here while their feet are on the ground in the United States um, on an F1 student visa. Again, not our rule, not NCAA rule, uh, federal law. So we've advised that we're not, th that's also a, a really weird space and maybe a space that needs to be explored more legally. Because um, I think, you know, the questions we're getting are, well, what if I'm back home for the holidays? Um, what if I sell jewelry online, but the online store is only available in Germany? Does that violate my F1 visa status? And so those are questions we just don't know the answer to. And, uh, but we certainly want to find them because I think, um, you know, UNC, we, we recruit a lot of international students, a lot of big programs do. And I think it would be a disservice if we said, hey, look, we're doing all of these resources for our student athletes, but because you come from another country, we, we may not be able to do it. Now, that's federal government law. So who knows if we can get that changed, right? But um, I think we just need to explore that so that we know exactly where that line is and we can advise our student athletes. I want to add something on too to what, to what Nate was talking about, especially with the women athletes. You know, the NCAA saying for so long was the majority of our athletes go pro in something other than sports, right? And for so long, you know, there for women athletes, there are not as many pro opportunities. So the pro opportunities in general are limited. And then when you take that down to women athletes, it's even more limited. Um, and then it's also not to the same compensation as, as the male pro leagues. Um, and so what we're seeing is, you know, at, before NIL passed, you would have you know, a majority of these women athletes who it is actually probably the only time where they could earn money playing their sport because they're not going to go pro. Um, and if they do, the money's just not there. Um, and so that is to me, the difference and, and, and the equalizer, like we were talking about Nate, because uh, yeah, you're going to be, you know, NWSL athletes, especially lower on that pay scale, you're only making 30 grand a year and that's a pro sports league. Um, so the money's not there. You're probably, you have the potential to make way more in college and to still build up your brand so that while your salary in that pro sports league is, is maybe 30,000, you're able to get an endorsement deal, you know, with that added kind of pro value. So it, it's, I don't think it can be understated how it is, it, it is an equalizer. And I know title nine was a, was a concern for a long time, but to me, it was always a red herring argument because I think that you know, there was always issues of, of inequality anyway, uh, in many other different areas of, of, of college athletics, it would have the opposite effect. Great. So some a, a football player is able to, to earn a, a million dollar deal, right? But you now have 30 to 40 women athletes that will never go pro, but can still start making money or, or start doing things um, in college. And that's just kind of aside from the fact that, you know, it's their legal you know, the, the courts would say it's their legal right to, to be able to, to earn money off of their, their own name, image, and likeness. So I, I think it's just something to, to add on to what Nate said. 
Nate, I know you mentioned uh, group licensing earlier as well, just like um, Kelsey. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how that works? And then also what are the um, opportunities for athletes, you know, to take part in that and kind of what can they, they get out of that program? Yeah, sure. So uh, UNC reached out to the Brandar group. They are a, the, I would say, premier group license entity in the United States. They, they work with the NFL and MLB and NBA um, on their group license issues. And so um, this was something that, again, Bubba was a big proponent of. Um, when this, we first talked about this two years ago, um, he came out with a uh, athletic uh, sports business article um, basically saying this is what he thinks is good for everybody and that group license would be good for everybody and, and we can make it work and, um, and kind of saying, look, if we don't pass NIL, let's at least allow this to happen. And so he was a champion of that. And so when NIL passed, that was the first thing, that was the first call we made was to the brain art group and said, Hey, are you guys interested in getting a, a partnership with our student athletes? And they said, absolutely. So we were the first ones to do that. Now there's several schools that have it, Alabama, Ohio state, lots of schools have, have now implemented group licensing um, through the uh, Brandar group. And so what it is, is, so it's an opportunity for student athletes um, to enter into the group license. It's voluntary. They're not required to do it. It is also non-exclusive, which means they can sign up for the group license, but they can still go out and get their own deal. So, you know, if, if, if they sign up for Brandar, but then Adidas calls them and says, Hey, I want you to sign, you know, a deal with me. Great. That's fine. There's no exclusivity in that at all. So, um, you know, I think that's a huge benefit for our student athletes. Um, but really what it does is it says, okay, look, if you sign up for this group license, what we're going to do is we're going to pair your name, image, and likeness with the UNC marks and logos. So obviously licensing is a huge issue. And that's something we haven't talked about yet, but is a huge issue in college um, athletics and in this NIL space. And so it's really expensive to get licensing for products or merchandise or anything like that. It's a very expensive process. Most schools are very conservative with who they, you know, allow the license to go out to. It's just a very red taped process. And so the brand art group basically allows for student athletes to pair their name, image, and likeness with UNC marks and logos to create a product for market. And so what the brand art group does is goes, you know, they, they listen to the market, they go to the market and say, Hey, we have, you know, 15 basketball players signed up in the group license. Are you interested in doing a deal with them? And, you know, they'll go to companies and businesses, business and companies will come to them and say, Hey, we want to work with this group or whatever. And so that's how it kind of works. And what we've been doing is trying to go around and educate our student athletes on, on what the group licenses, because there's a lot of confusion about it. Coaches don't understand it really. It's a really neat opportunity. It's a way to make, you know, passive income without really doing much. Um, it's non-exclusive. Like I said, it's voluntary to enter. Um, and the kind of things you could um, create from it, um, you know, we have these, again, we have PowerPoint slides and, you know, we show our student athletes this information, but you know, there's this really good, now I can't think of the, the tagline on it, but it's a really good women's soccer um, Nike ad. Um, and it's got, you know, the four, you know, Rapinoe and, you know, and, and, and Morgan and, and all of the, the four best uh, women's soccer players. And it's a Nike one. And we use that as an example, like, hey, you know, if the UNC women's soccer team wants to do a Nike commercial, you know, this is how you could, this is what it would look like. Um, you could also do jersey sales. So that's the big one, right, is, is jersey sales, which, um, you know, we've, we're trying to get that done right now. The best we can do is jerseys. So that's like shirt jerseys. And the reason is just the supply chain issue. So it's not uh, anything more than we just can't get the jerseys in the stores with the names on them. And so I think we've seen, so Michigan had some and Ohio state had some, and, and they were in a unique position where they actually had Blake jerseys um, that you could put, you know, your name on the back, you know, the, the owner's name. Um, and so because of that, they had all these blank jerseys and they're like, Hey, let's, 
let's do this. Let's do, you know, name, image, and likeness. Let's sign up our players. So now you can go to Ohio State's, you know, their Buckeye store and you can, there's like 50 players and you can click on your favorite player and it'll match their number and name and put it on the jersey and you can pay for it. And then they get some profit from it, which is very cool. And I think that's, you know, to, to Kelsey's point, that's some of the, some of these student athletes, most of them, right? 99% of them, this is the most money they will make off their name, image, and likeness in their whole career. And so, um, you know, that's really an, an amazing opportunity. And so we're, we're, ha- we're, you know, we're excited about the, the opportunity um, with the Brandar group and, and, and hope that some stuff comes to fruition here soon and, and, and really gets out there. And um, we've had a couple, you know, companies reach out and, um, and, and we're, we're, we're looking forward to seeing what comes out of that. And then lastly, again, for both of you, just what are your predictions? How do you kind of see this landscape unfolding from an athlete's perspective, from a coach's perspective, and so on? Yeah, I'll go. So, you know, just to echo the sentiments I talked about earlier, I I think, you know, I think females are certainly going to take over um, a lot of these deals. Right now, I think Open Doors just came out with some statistics that showed that, like, 80% 80% of the money is going to male athletes and 20% is going to female. I think that's just early on. I don't think that'll be the trend. I think that'll equal out. Um, I think the number of deals, the number of women's deals will be greater than the number of men's deals, whether that dollar value is greater. I think the number of actual deals for women athletes will certainly be greater than men. Um, and then I think the one thing that we haven't seen, which uh, I was a little surprised about, but it's the summer and it came up quick. Um, is student athletes starting their own businesses for lessons, private lessons and camps and clinics. I think that's going to be a huge area, especially for women to be able to go and give lacrosse lessons in the summer when they're home. And we just haven't seen it yet, but I think that's going to blow up as well, where they're going to have these mini corporations and they're going to um, own their own business and start their own camp and clinic. And that's a huge, like multi-billion dollar space. I mean, the, the prospect and youth camp space is multi-billion dollars. Um, and so I think there's a lot of money to be cleaned up by college athletes in that space. And the neat thing is, is that um, they can reference their status as a student athlete at University of North Carolina. Now, marks and logos are still a licensing issue, but I can say University of North Carolina football student athlete Nate Wood is giving quarterback lessons. If I'm Sam Howell. I can say UNC quarterback Matt, Sam Howell, right? And so th- that's a really neat thing to be able to do. And I think that's going to hopefully tick up next summer. Yeah, I'm just going to add to that by saying ditto. (laughs) I agree with, I think the number of women at women's deals is going to be higher. I don't think money wise, just because, you know, it's an investment on people's part, right? On businesses part, on companies part. And the investment long-term is higher in the men's sports space. It just is currently uh, because of, you know, there's a whole other podcast for those reasons. Um, But, but I think it's going to, it's, I think it's going to explode and probably in good and bad ways. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We certainly will. And I think it's going to be very interesting to just watch this space unfold over the next couple of months and years. Well, there you have it. The first episode of Untap. Major thank you to Kelsey and Nate again for joining the show. I hope you join next time as we talk to some personal branding experts about the future of athlete marketing. Thank you.